but yeah, we've got Christmas lights. You should see this fucking apartment. Christmas tree, fairy lights everywhere, twinkle lights. We're going for see, a witchy, like a forest witch theme ooh, to these Christmas a decorations. A Yule theme. Yes, a Yule theme, like a pagan. I'm trying to transition to that theme from some of our more cutesy decorations. Like, hang on. Uh-oh. Did I show you this? Yes. Oh, okay. yes. I showed you I, the Feliz Navidad. The Feliz Navidad uh, cactus, cactus with, with the sombrero and maracas. <laughs> and he sings Feliz Navidad. And it's like, it really doesn't go with my pagan forest witch theme, but it's, I really treasure this guy. <laughs> Hi, I'm Maya Garantz. And I'm Rebecca Cohen. And this is The Sauce, the culture and politics podcast where we drink cocktails and ruin the stuff you love. In this episode, we're going to ruin Taylor Swift and Beyonce. Because we were really disappointed that we didn't just have our show canceled by doing two episodes on Israel. So I think that it's because we were focusing on the wrong things. And this is really going to get the trolls out. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Israel didn't get us canceled, but uh, this is a whole other ball game. It's talking different. about Taylor Swift, talking about Beyonce, I don't know. Are we getting into dangerous territory? This world is a terrible world right now. There are many really important things to talk about, but this is a culture podcast. And so, especially when we're about to go into an election year, <laughs> I thought it'd be nice to lighten it up just for a second. I'll see um, how light you feel when the Swifties <laughs> come after you. But before we get into all of that, we definitely need to check in. Maya, how are you doing and what are you drinking? I'm going to finish this bottle of Rowan's Creek uh, by hook or by crook. I'm doing all right. It was my mom's first Hanukkah party since covid So we went to San Diego. I wore a very flattering little black dress, did my makeup, blow dried my hair and let her boss me around in front of her friends. So I have done my fucking part as a daughter for the year. Although also the week before, Mm -hmm. my son became a man. Indeed. And so also I have I've disappointed my parents in so many ways. But the celebration go. Just give us a quick rundown. All I will say, my friends, and I shared this with uh, with our patrons, my son's opening speech started with a great joke where he said, uh, you know, now I can follow. I'm a son of the covenant. Now I can follow all 613 Torah, you know, rules. So I'm not going to be eating any rock badger or camel. And it, it just he was like very funny. And he talked about different rules that stood out to him, like the rule that men can't wear women's clothing and vice versa. And. He said that's a real nail that sticks up will be hammered down attitude and he's not into it and he's worn a dress and it's cool. Then he went on a page long screed about the failures of the Paris Accords. And then he ended <laughs> by being like, if I'm going to do this, I might as well talk about my feelings about God. I am an atheist and I don't believe in any omnipotent being. And, and then it's like, so 
said that at his bar mitzvah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's how he opened the bar mitzvah. Right. Cross-dressing, climate change, atheism, welcome to my bar mitzvah. Right. As if anyone coming to your kid's bar mitzvah was confused <laughs> about what they were getting into. But he's like, just in case. We just it must be out. really clear, really clear. And then um, his Torah portion was about the rape of Dina, which is about Jacob's daughter, Dina, getting raped by a non-Jew. And then the Jewish siblings enacting asymmetrical vengeance upon the <laughs> they town. They go into the town and kill all the men in the town, right? Who have just all agreed to be circumcised. Right. Because they're tricked because they feel like this rape is going to trigger this intermarriage. Um, instead, at the peak of their discomfort, they come in and kill them all. Which we knew was going to be a tough portion. We didn't think it was going to be <laughs> quite so on the nose. Um, but my son talked about the way that Dina is never heard from. We never hear her point of view or perspective or her voice. We hear the emotions of like the the antagonist who rapes her, but not right. ever from her. Right. It's always and her her brutalization is only a factor in the story for men. Yeah, 100%. Men's stories. 100%. So he talked about how messed up that is. And then he talks about how he doesn't believe in collective punishment. And he was like, I'm sure you can see parallels to Gaza, (laughs) the situation (laughs) in Gaza right now. Like, look, man, I was very proud of him. Yeah. I was very proud of him. How much of that did you write? Zero. I wrote zero of it. No, I wrote. No, you've been writing it his whole life. (laughs) (laughs) I've been writing it into his flesh. It is written in his DNA. Like, no, I, the only thing I did, I did do an edit, but we have a very good system where it was just like, you know, a couple of little messy, a little repetitive here and there, cleaned it up. So it's a little tighter. But he wrote all of, I was like, oh, I guess you're going to talk about wearing a dress. All right. (laughs) Go for it. Go. I guess, I guess you're going to talk about Gaza. You're the one that has to deal with your grandparents afterwards. That's, hey, and my dad, okay, this, let's put a pin in this for future episodes. So my dad is like a rite of passage, I guess, bought him an animal farm in 1984 to read, which he believes is like, the beginning of some right. I'm like, do you, have you heard about George Orwell? Like he, he's trying to set my son on the road to a right wing sort of capital. I, Wait, I don't Animal know. Animal Farm in 1984. Yeah. George Orwell. Party. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm thinking about this. So your dad thinks that this is a good foundation for becoming a conservative thinker. Yeah. Which I'm like. Yeah. No, yeah. it's interesting because a lot of conservatives like to cite Orwell and even recently. I know you're not on Twitter, but Elon Musk was tweeting about Orwell, and I don't remember what he was saying. Maybe he was showed a T-shirt or talked about making a T-shirt that was something about like what would Orwell do or what, would, and it's like Orwell would take in radicals from the Spanish American conflict. Yeah, I mean, Orwell yeah. was an anti-fascist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it was a beautiful event. Genetics are very strong. That's it. They are. I mean, little nature, little nurture, I'm sure. There's some of both going on, but I am glad it went well. It's beautiful. Now, all the months of planning and and rehearsal and practice are over. They're done. That's done. 
So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. How are you doing and what are you drinking? I am doing all right. I saw it a little is, shaker action. Yes. A okay. Cocktail I am, glass, little coupe glass action. I am drinking my classic Nagatini, Ooh. the cocktail that I invented because I wanted something that tastes like eggnog but did not actually have eggnog in it. The official recipe contains Nonino Amaro, but I don't have that right now. So I used Maletti Amaro, which is kind of in a similar kind of like cinnamony winter spices flavor profile. So it does all right. It's doing the trick. Uh, the real trick is the nutmeg on top. Anything that has nutmeg tastes like eggnog. <laughs> That's yes. the secret. <laughs> it's true. It's but uh, true. it is that time of year, you know, I, I tutor part time and my students have all taken their standardized tests. So so you're done. So I'm done basically for the remainder of the calendar year. I mean, they're already, the company I work for is already emailing me with, do you want a new student? Whatever. I, I try to ignore those emails as I ignore all emails uh, for as long as is sustainable. But for right now, my schedule is suddenly very free and I'm like, oh, all those things that have been piling up over the months. I'm like, oh, I got to do that. I got to do that. When am I going to have time to do that? And now I have time. And I'm like, what were those things? I don't remember now. <laughs> been doing a lot of Christmas decorating. I actually did add a menorah this year. It's not a real one. It's an electric one that has little like LED lights on I'm it. I'm sorry. Did you never have a Hanukkah in your holiday decorations? No, not not in recent years. I feel years. personally betrayed so by this. Feel like, betrayed. What is going on? First of all, I think we've talked about this. We've been doing this show for so long, I can't even remember at this point. But I'm sure we've <laughs> talked about our distaste for the way Hanukkah is elevated because very it's much not so. an important holiday. It is it's, not at all an important holiday. Yeah. It's a very meaningless holiday. It is a holiday that honestly no one would celebrate, that American Jews would mostly not observe. But because it's around the same time as Christmas, it get, becomes like, I, I've I've had Jewish people try to explain it as being Jewish Christmas. I'm like, it's not, what the fuck are you no, talking about? It 100% isn't. So part of it is like, I don't want to participate in that. I don't want to participate in the like, you have Christmas, I have Hanukkah. You know, my husband is, is of Catholic upbringing and has always celebrated Christmas. Also, uh, I don't like the sort of tokenism of it. I don't like the way it's like, everything's Christmas. And then like, oh, here's a dreidel. <laughs> like this one no, little thing. It's nice to light like the candles. Too. I no, like I do. The, I appreciate The candle that. lighting is nice. I would be so much more inclined to do that if I had kids. I would 100% do it if I had kids. I would want them to have that tradition and I you know, would. I don't get my kids Hanukkah presents because of the whole. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's I'm, not actually a Hanukkah because tradition. Because it's not actually a Hanukkah tradition. Right. Yeah. You're not. It, that's just something American Jews not going to play along with that bullshit. Not feel left out. Well, I bet your kids love that. They must yeah, they hate love it so much. that. They hate it so much. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Suffer now. You'll appreciate this someday. <laughs> oh, God. No, they're going to be going to therapy for that. They'll be going to therapy for something. You know, yeah, it's true. <laughs> I'm fine with my little electric thing. I honestly feel a little bit like I'm I almost got it out of a sense of defiance this year because 
Not not because of the big surge in anti-Semitism and all the fucking people being like, I'm afraid to put my menorah in the window. Ugh. Not that. But I was at the drugstores at CVS trying to buy Hanukkah greeting cards to send to my family, which they were sold out of because they had like three cards and there was like no Hanukkah stuff. The reason that I am frustrated by this is I live in New York City. (laughs) I live in New York City. If there's a place in the world where you can find Hanukkah stuff, it should be here. And uh, they had, it was sparse. But one of the things they had was this little LED menorah. Hanukkah thing. So you're like, I'm going to demonstrate demand, and then maybe next exactly. year they will provide maybe some supply. Have more stuff <laughs> next time. All right. Well, I I'm glad you have it, listeners. We want to know how you're decorating your homes for the holidays. Come join our Patreon, Patreon.com/saucepodcast to continue supporting making the show. Join us on the Sauce Beakeasy. Come on, tell us how you are decorating your living room, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Well, it's like this. This year, I felt like we missed talking about one of the biggest fucking cultural, economic, driving force phenomenons of the year, the Queen's of American success, the avatars, Taylor Swift and Beyonce, who had these monster barnstorming tours in 2023. So I felt like it was a great end of year episode to just end with them in all of their glory. All right, then let's do it. Let's talk about Taylor Swift and Beyonce. Now, I have to be honest, I haven't really followed... (laughs) these events that much. But even as someone who doesn't really follow this stuff, a lot of it has still sort of penetrated my circle of awareness just Did because you, you can't avoid have it. friends who are all going to the shows? No. I feel like, oh my God, who do you know? The number of people I knew whose entire weeks or weekends were like cycled around going to see Taylor Swift And I'm not just saying like taking their daughters to see Taylor Swift, like grown ass adults going to this show, going to the Beyonce show. Isn't it like $4,000 to get a a ticket? Our babysitter is like, I have friends who went into massive credit card debt for $1,500 tickets to go to the Eras tour. So there were two tours. Taylor Swift's tour was called Eras. And it was this three and a half hour long spectacle. Mm-hmm. Of all 10 of her albums. So it's all of right. the eras the of Taylor. eras of her career. And I thought that like different nights were different albums. They're like, oh no, she does all 10 albums in one night. I was like, oh mm-hmm. shit. All right. Um, and then Beyonce put out the absolutely stunning record Renaissance, uh, which is like a conceptual journey through the modern history queer black dance music from the 1970s to the present day. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's like this giant conceptual album. And she went on her Renaissance tour, which similarly was a giant multi-hour extravaganza. She's on a flying silver horse at the end. Like it's (laughs) just crazy. You didn't go to this? The tickets were so expensive. (laughs) You know what I did? This was the problem. I have a friend who 
can sometimes get us tickets at SoFi Stadium. Okay. And I'd asked when I first learned about the tour, I was like, get me tickets. And then I didn't want to bug him about it. Hmm. And so I didn't buy tickets. And then I would go on StubHub and be like, I'm sorry, what? Like, right. <laughs> oh, I would spend how many thousands of dollars to sit where? Like, no, thank you. And I regretted it so much. I regret yeah. it so much. But if you missed it, both shows almost immediately, the second the tours were done, released films of the tours. Not even like, like they're going to pound this shit to the end. Yeah. Beyonce and Taylor Swift attended the openings of each other's movies. Like it's a whole fucking thing. Also, there are multiple articles in like Forbes and like mm -hmm. Finance Magazine about how these were the major economic events in America in this whole year. It, like of 2023. Of 2023. The Eras Tour is said to have brought in $1 billion for Swift and may have boosted the U.S. economy overall by $4.6 billion. <laughs> Like, and then for Beyonce, similarly, there's these descriptions of the many billions of dollars that she boosted into the economy. There are reports of the insane bonuses that they would give to not only their performers, but their crew. Taylor Swift gave $100,000 bonuses to each of her 50 truck drivers. Wow. That's it, a good gig. I want, how do you get to be a truck driver for her? It, oh, Beyonce, the night that they were in D.C., mm -hmm. um, the show was going to end after midnight. So they paid $100,000 to cover the trains, to keep the trains running so people could get back to Maryland after the show. They, like, supported the public transportation infrastructure. They, so they privately kept the trains running. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I'm saying this was a big deal. Okay. So the long and short of it is both of these women are juggernauts. Yes. They are a pair of phenomena. Is that the plural? They were both on the road this year and no one from The Economist to the performance reviewer to the arts writer, everyone is like, nothing has ever been seen like this ever. Like it, it was huge. It was huge. Okay. So now we get into the part where we ruin it, right? Yeah. 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 Oh, for sure. <laughs> so let's talk about, let's talk about Beyonce. Wait, 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 wait. Before we ruin it just briefly, I feel like there's a way that we have to do the opposite of ruining it so we can ruin it. Like we talked about how like, oh, they made all this money. It was a juggernaut. But also here's where we should provide a foil by talking about why that's a good thing. Okay. Here are these women killing it, treating their workers well as far as they report. I mean, it sounds like they're treating them well. It also sounds like if they didn't treat people well, you'd find out about it in a fucking hot second. I don't know. NDAs are powerful. Mm. Um, but there's this way that they are powerful businesswomen who are great artists, who are putting together stagecraft extravaganzas where they're not puppets of someone else. Right. This is their fucking deal. These are some 
fucking boss bitches. It's their artistic vision and they are the ones making the money off of it. They're the ones making the choices. Yeah. They're the ones making They're the not money. Puppets of a record company that's like writing songs for them and telling them what to do. None of that. No. These are some no. fucking it's powerful women. This is it, that's what I'm trying to get to. That's what I'm trying to get to. This isn't this peak feminism. Their fan base is all of these girls and women and queers who feel so empowered and thrilled and welcome. Yeah, absolutely. At the Taylor Swift concert, girls make bracelets that they bring so they can trade them with people, like they create community. I mean, we'll get to this with Travis Kelsey. That's what he did. He made a bracelet for her with his phone number on it. That's how they first. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah, isn't that cute? (laughs) Um, But also with, with Beyonce, all of her dancers, or a lot of them, are legendary drag and ballroom performers. So particularly when she's elevating. Yes. Queer, black, dance, music set in this really historical structure. I'm going to send you on a tour of this and making that the main event of the fucking summer. I mean, come on. Yeah. How could how could we ruin that is what I'm saying. I think we're going to find a way. I think so. I believe in us. So to start out, I want to just note uh, as these women are icons of feminism and just the embodiments really in so many ways of pure unadulterated feminism uh, how feminism has always been such a capitalist enterprise making four billion dollars is an important part of feminism right I want you to know I almost did a spit take Maya did on almost my do com- a spit take. it was quite a reaction Well, that's the question, right? That's the question. How how do we take this power? So where do we start, Rebecca? Who are we starting with? Let's start with Beyonce. Okay. And the burden's going to fall on me for this. I think that what you're saying about that, like this is what feminism is, right? Mm -hmm. It's capitalism. I am a longtime, very passionate fan of Beyonce. I know. That. I was not a Destiny's Child fan because I thought, oh, girl group, pop, whatever. As Beyonce has matured into her career, she has become, and I will fight anyone on this, a brilliant artist. Her albums, especially the past three, keep getting more and more like conceptual, ambitious, muscular, like real music, like real actual fantastic music that aren't just like, what are the hits going to be? Right. Like, fuck the hits. (laughs) Yeah. Fuck the singles. Like she is so over that, right? Mm -hmm. All of these incredible visuals that she makes, the videos that go with them. Extraordinary. Yes. Beyonce is a capitalist avatar. There is this kind of troublesomeness. And Ellen Chang, uh, our guest from Oppenheimer, I remember her talking about this with me. The way that Beyonce steals, she always credits the musicians who who work on her songs. Who contribute. 
Yeah. But, but, but this is, if I may interrupt, mm-hmm. even I know this, like I don't really follow Beyonce and this is not, I am not throwing shade or like judging her music or anyone who likes it. I actually respect it greatly and have enjoyed it, but it's just not something I follow and keep up with. And, uh, but even I know that she has been accused of theft of like choreography and oh she has stolen the work of choreographers video artists like particularly in the world of the visuals and dance yeah she absolutely just straight up rips it off with zero attribution and often it's such an obvious ripoff that people can go, oh, there's Rosa de Kirsmacher, you know, like there's. Right, but, you know, what's 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 a ripoff and what's an homage? This is not a new question, but like for real, if it's something that you can look at and say, oh, that is so and so's choreography, that is a reference to this artist's work. Is it not just a reference when it's that precisely copied? Mm. It's hard to feel like it's an homage, like if you're thinking about like fair use. Like, right. <laughs> I'm, and I'm sure her lawyers are have it all that shit buttoned up. But fair use is about I'm going to use this with enough adaptation or outside enough of its original context that it becomes something else. Is choreography even copyrightable? That's a it's a really good question. I would it's be surprised really good, if it were. Listeners but... who are choreographers, we'd love to hear. Yes, or intellectual property lawyers. Uh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> IP lawyers. Um But I think actually a great way into this is in her songs, because if you know her songs and if you read all of the contributors who write her songs, you'll see like 70 names in a song. Mm -hmm. And it's because each of these people contributes like a line or a bar or a section. And Beyonce knows how to synthesize it. They're like Franken songs, like If you were just sitting down with a guitar to write them, they wouldn't make sense. They only make sense as studio production, even though afterwards people will take them and do, you know, amazing uh, acoustic covers of them. And this is not to take away from her insane musical talent, her insane musical talent. And you hear this over and over again from people who work with her is that she knows how to take all of this stuff all of this clip and an interpolation of this line and a thing from here and synthesize it into something that shouldn't make sense, but absolutely does and is catchy as hell. When you say that like writers uh, or artists contribute a line or an element, is that something that they've written for Beyonce? Or are you saying that she takes things from pre-existing works? She does both. Um, There are a lot of songwriters who will write songs or fragments of songs in the hopes of selling them to someone like Beyonce or their producers who sort of construct these things in the studio. Um, One of the great examples is the song by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, Maps, that Karen O sings. They don't love you like I love you. So Beyonce interpolated that line and pulled it into her song because it kind of goes there. They're like these stitched together puzzles. And she's apparently the the one who brings it all together. Who like, Mm -hmm. she's, when I say sponge, I mean it so precisely as a metaphor. It's like it all, 
all of the waters of the world push through her body, soaked up into her, sucked in, and then she expels it through her body. And so, dance like one of the best examples is on the opening track of Renaissance. She makes the beat out of this rapper. There is this uh, woman who's a rapper, like street local rapper who passed away. And she takes just her rapping and turns it into the beat that she then sings over. Oh, wow. Like conceptually, she's doing some crazy things, but it's all about this kind of incorporation of the entire cultural universe literally into her body. (laughs) And I hear that she has people whose full-time job, she has like teams of people whose full-time job is to just sit there scouring the internet for like dancers, choreographers, cool shit, hip things that the kids are wearing, you know, in some little town. And just, it's like this giant gaping maw, like feed, (laughs) feed, the the machine hmm. feed the Beyonce machine so she can like just synthesize it into something it's better. rather postmodern, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Oh yeah, but that's interesting because on the one hand, uh, I mean that's kind of like the art of hip hop. Yes, in itself is yeah, yeah. A, an art like a, a pastiche and a reusing and repurposing. Um, but that's not without its controversies and questions in terms of like what piece of it is artistry and what piece of it is homage and what piece of it is straight up theft. But also it's like it obliterates the original. Right. It obliterates the original in the sunlight of her. Right. Well, that's the thing. Going back to the choreography, like if she's doing an homage to some great choreographer, it's a very, very a small and select portion of her audience who are able to look at that and say, oh, that is so-and-so's work. There are millions and millions more people who have no fucking idea, have never seen that, never will see it, and only see it as Beyonce's work. Like, what is the point of an homage to something that your audience doesn't recognize? Yeah, and you don't want them to recognize it. Mm, because well, you want to, because, well, there's, that's the, that's the feeling mm-hmm. that, I am going to own it. And it was interesting when she did Coachella and it was very much themed around HBCUs and drum lines and big bands. And there's a way that she's also taking black culture. She's popularizing it, but only if it goes through her. Yeah. Only yeah. if it goes through her. She's the fucking gatekeeper she is the toll booth of all culture like there's something about that where you're like oh wow (laughs) yeah yeah and you also mentioned her sort of uplifting like black queer voices dancers dance music and stuff like that it reminds me a little of madonna in the late 80s early 90s you know like remember the song vogue that was house music yes that most americans had not heard at that time yes i mean and she was singing about voguing like she was taking something that mainstream america the vast majority of americans or people around the world were completely unfamiliar with um and might even be uncomfortable with and she was elevating it 
in the sense of making it visible, bringing it up to her stratosphere where it was visible to everyone, but also kind of packaging it in a way that was palatable to everyone. And so, like, I've heard a lot of queer people say that was fantastic. That was great. Suddenly, our music that was playing in our clubs, you turned on MTV and you saw it. But then the flip side of that was this sort of, like, appropriation. Like, this is our music. This is our thing. And you're kind of claiming it. Right. And in a truly postmodern way, at the end of the of the concert, um, which, by the way, I followed this concert on Instagram. You know what I mean? Like I want like the different costumes in every city. Like (laughs) I was watching it. But when she does the big hit, Break My Soul, which was like the bit that was kind of the big single, um, she ended it by transposing it into Vogue. Oh, no shit. By Madonna. And she did a remix of Break My Soul that mixed it with Vogue. And then wow. she goes into it being transposed into Michael Jackson. And at some point there's a little Britney Spears. Like she has this puzzle piece mind mm-hmm. where she can make transitions between songs. She can like hear it and put it together in a way that's like crazy. But so again, what that- So she'd be a that, great DJ is what you're saying. She is like the world's greatest DJ. But again, it is through her body. Yeah. Yes. I mean, DJ, DJing is an art in and of itself. Um, though the DJ is never claiming the tracks as being right. their own, right? Right. And there is also this way where like, I'm going to do it better and the best. So it obliterates the original because the more um, amateur version of it or rough version of it or authentic in its difficulty version of it, like it's going to be reperformed with this gloss on it. Yes, all the polish. Yeah. That no one else has access to but me because I have a billion dollars. There is a sort of strain of feminism, like, I mean, I guess you could argue liberal feminism that does sort of strive to just have women achieve within the systems that men have created. Right. Yes. The feminist vision is realized when there's as many female billionaires as male billionaires. Right. Right. When there's as many women in positions of power on executive boards and Fortune 500 companies and as CEOs, when they equal the men, then then that's equality. And we've fixed everything. Right. uh, Without breaking down a system. She sort of seems like to be embodying that both on a feminist level, also in terms of talking about black culture and and black liberation. Yes. It's kind of a similar like you're talking about these things, you're kind of embodying or well you're literally embodying these things in a certain sense. But in the end, you're taking money from people. You're not taking you're selling something that people are happy to buy, but I mean to say she's accumulating wealth and status within a system that her music and videos kind of claim to be maybe critiquing. Mm, She's not that much critiquing the system. I don't don't know how to work that well. I don't think she is. I think at the end of the day, it's like the world's greatest fucking pop music. Although it is conceptually, especially with, with Renaissance, I feel, no, I feel like Lemonade was a concept album too. Oh, yeah. And she's done these things that are about like like Black is King that are about 
black uplift in really important ways. But again, I don't know. Like when it's I remember several years ago, she had the whole Black Panthers thing. Like, yes, uh, formation. Yes, and, yes. And like I loved it. It was so fucking great. But it's also like. <sighs> Are you just using Black Panther's imagery? Are you really accomplishing something to get a message out and communicate to people what the Black Panthers were about? Are you doing anything to forward their mission? Or are you just using that imagery to promote yourself, to make money? Well, and I think this is what is the tension. Hmm. I think this is the tension for me of, of the tension of what it means to love Beyonce. So speaking of amazing artists, oh God, I Maya oh, admires deeply. Jesus, no, no, not so much with Taylor Swift. I, I don't know if longtime listeners are. I'm a big listener to music. I listen to a lot of music. I love music. I love singer songwriters. Person with a guitar, bring it on. I even incorporated country into my love of music. Like I love music and I love singer songwriters. I'm telling you right now. God bless Taylor Swift. I hope she is so successful. I do not understand people's love of her songwriting. I don't understand. And listeners, I have tried for weeks now to find somebody to come on the show who's a Swifty to explain it to me. But anyone I know who knows a Swifty is like, when I'm like, oh, do you think they'd be able to be critical about her? They were like, no. <laughs> like I can't get anybody to come on. No one who's an like, expert on Taylor Swift and knows her music really well and can tell you why it's great can also be critical of her. No, they cannot. They cannot, and they and they couldn't sit with us while we're critical of her because they might get very, very <laughs> they, personally they offended. They might scratch us. We might literally <laughs> be scratched with fingers. Reach through the screen and just right. fucking rip our faces off. Like, yeah, yeah, it's a cult. And the thing is, as a member of the cult of Beyonce, like, I get that. I do <laughs> not get the cult of Taylor Swift. I don't get it. Listeners, help us. Okay, so so Taylor Swift, similar to Beyonce, started as this kind of child star, has now grown into her child starness as an adult woman who is a fucking boss bitch who gets shit done. Yes. All about that pro her, one of the best stories I heard about her, there was a blind item, you know, those yeah. in the newspaper, the like little gossip, gossip items columns. in the gossip yeah. columns where they don't name the person because they don't want to get sued uh, about, you know, the young Chantouse who lives in the West Village. She apparently has like a giant just chest full of sex toys in her living room, which I'm like, bring it, girl. She has like yeah. affairs with everybody and and write songs about these men afterwards in ways that are like, fuck you, which I'm like, I'm all about yeah, it. It's great. But the actual songs, I I don't understand. They feel so basic to me. And people are like, she's such a great, like, like other producers are like, Taylor Swift is one of the songwriters of Bob Dylan. There's Taylor Swift. I'm like, no, 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 these things do not go together. And she has described her own songwriting method she categorizes her songs under three genres. Quill lyrics, like lyrics you'd write with a quill, fountain pen lyrics, and glitter gel pen lyrics. 
And I'm like, you know, you basic. It's you very know apt. you basic. <laughs> okay. So you're going to kill me for this. But I'm going to posit the <gasps> hypothesis that part of the reason you can't enjoy Taylor Swift's music and her lyrics is that they speak to a part of you that you don't want to acknowledge. <gasps> oh, oh, I'm interested to hear what <laughs> this is going to say. What is this part of me? The basic bitch part of you. <laughs> that you're in denial. You have to reaffirm your not basicness by rejecting. I'm really trying to take this very seriously. I'm really listening to this right now. I'm really like having a moment with myself where I'm trying to see if that is true. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Mm -hmm. I listen to say, and I'm going to admit some shit right now. I listen to like Miranda Lambert, who is like a basic bitch country star, but she's such a good songwriter, right? Um, I, I tried. I, I watched Taylor's Tiny Desk. I watched when Taylor was on <laughs> SNL last year and did her 10 minute version of her like, fuck you, Jake Gyllenhaal song. Mm -hmm. Like that doesn't narrow I, it down. <laughs> I know. Right. I, <laughs> I applaud the fact that somebody else bought the masters to her songs. So she has re-recorded every single album that she has ever put out and directed her very passionate fan base to only listen to Taylor's version. Mm. Like these are very boss bitch moves. And, and also she gets, she gets her listeners to like, uh, to vote. Yeah. Oh no. She, she has been great about they that. They crashed the Tennessee voter registration website. <laughs> yeah. Like she, she like posts on Instagram, everybody registered to vote. And then they like, do. It literally crashes they the do. registration website. I am into all of that. And I really believe that if her songs were better, and I don't even like her song Blank Space, that is a that is a it's banger. A and it, that is a good that song a with good a song. great video. <laughs> but her music is not like I don't hum it to myself. It's right. not even an earworm. I don't think it's deep. People are like, oh, her lyrics. I'm like, really? Like, I feel like I can do better even as a basic bitch. I like basic bitch stuff. I watch basic bitch stuff. The impression I have is that uh, with Taylor, a lot of it is not the song itself as like an Aristotelian piece of art that stands on its own, <laughs> but it's the song as a reflection of her as this figure. And she's not a transcendent figure like Beyonce. Beyonce's no. like, I am positioning myself like I, I am actually a goddess. I am Mother Mary and Shiva and, and anyone else you worship. That's and also, me. And also sex. Yeah. Sex octopus, alien <laughs> superstar, Everything. all the things. All, all the, the icons. Things. Everything that's iconic is her. She, like you said, she's like a sponge. She's absorbing it. She's embodying it. I mean, she did this performance of these songs from, from Lemonade. Mm -hmm. at the Grammys when she was pregnant with twins. Yes. That is like this it's like performance art, which is like, you look nothing like your mother. You look everything like your mother. Like it's, <laughs> she's like in gold, in this gold yeah, lace. She sits on the chair and it leans back. She's like pregnant, big yeah. pregnant. And, she, and you're like, yes, she is alien superstar, 
hundred percent. Exactly. <laughs> Taylor Swift is almost the opposite of that in certain ways. She is a regular girl like you. Oh. Now she's super talented, regular girl like you, and obviously super successful. But you get sad when a boy breaks up with you, and so does she. And you feel fickle and, you know, like you're not sure what you want, and so does she. Like, it's not just the relatability, though. It's also her as this regular person, regular but special person. And the songs the songs are just manifestations of that persona. The, that star text. The songs are just peeks into her life and her interiority and her internal state. Right. But she's also very like, these songs aren't about me. I'm a songwriter. I don't just, you know, write autobiography. Right. But she makes all those different songs feel like that, even when right. they're not about her. I'm not saying she's without artistry. Obviously, she has a very muscular command of her instrument. I just don't find that instrument very interesting. <laughs> like, that's that's what it comes down to. Like there there are dance songs that I can fuck with, and I think, but I think you're right. I think you're right. But what I don't understand then is the cult. Like Taffy Broadacer Ackner, who is one of the great celebrity profilers of our time. Right? She's mm -hmm. she writes the greatest fucking celebrity profiles ever. She wrote an article about going to Taylor's concert and being with all of these basic bitch mommies. And she's kind of a basic bitch mommy, but she is having a fucking spiritual experience. And I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I've decided that the reason people think she's a good songwriter, lyricist, is because she uses wordplay. Yes. And I'm Gonna be honest, that's the same reason people think Manuel Lynn Miranda is a good songwriter. Oh, that's so such a good comparison. Yeah. He, oh, that's so good. Wordplay. And and I admire wordplay. I admire a good pun or a good double entendre, or just like taking a word that means one thing and then flipping it in the next line to mean something else. I respect it. I'm not going to comment on whether it makes one a great songwriter or not, but I get the sense that that's what people admire in her uh, songwriting. The cult thing, I am not sure, but I do think there's something validating about her. You know what it reminds me of? You know what it reminds me of? Remember the Twilight books? We've talked about this before. How like the yeah. whole thing about the Twilight novels is that Bella is like a basic bitch who somehow this vampire right. wants for to fucking eat reason. her for some reason, but she's clumsy. She's uninteresting. She's not very smart. She's not very compelling. The book goes out of its way to tell you she is so fucking basic. She's ordinary. She's unspecial. She is, there is zero special about her. And yet just because of who she yeah, is. But that's the thing. You don't read it and say, oh, I wish I were beautiful or smart or talented like Bella. It's perfectly easy to insert yourself because she's a non-entity as a character. Well, okay. I don't know that that's exactly what's going on with Taylor because I feel like with Taylor Swift, it's not that they're projecting themselves onto her. 
and saying like she's like a blank slate and that could be me. It's mm-hmm. more like her concerns and her interests and whatever topics she feels like are worthy of del- delving into and her takes on those topics are the same ones that 13-year-old girls have had for all of time and are continuing to have and will always have quite possibly. It's just, it's validating to have someone stand on stage and not only sing about them, but also say, this is art, this is songwriting, this is valid. And I know people think it's trash or people think it's bubblegum pop and are dismissive of it, but I don't care. I just made $4 billion like in the last hour. Well, but that's the other thing is that, so when she came out with the album 1989, Ryan Adams, who's this total fucking douchebag, mm. pretty much did a song for song re-recording of it and never acknowledged that it's because like the songs are really good. So he's going to cover them. Yeah. It was like, until I filter this through my male genius shit, Right. This ain't shit. So I'm like, fuck you, Ryan Adams. Like, those are her songs and she wrote them. Like, give her some credit. But then I listen to the songs and I'm like, eh, it's all right. Like, I don't feel moved by them. I don't feel moved by her music. Not even moved in a like, this is an earworm that I have to listen to 70,000 times over, which I do to plenty of basic bitch music. I mean, Demi Lovato, Sorry Not Sorry, I have listened to that song <laughs> a few times, a few yeah. times. So like, mm. okay. but here's one thing that I want to bring up, which also might be the key to this puzzle. Okay. The way that Taylor's love life this fall has made people lose their motherfucking minds. But you're talking specifically about the Travis Kelsey thing. Yes, I am. Yeah. That has been an interesting phenomenon to me on a number of levels. Like one level is the way in which the NFL and the networks covering the games, like the, the broadcasters, like everyone involved is just enamored of her and all they want to talk about is her. And they're just fascinated by her and her presence and delighted by it and excited by it. And I think there's something like really charming about that about the way that the NFL and its audience are not Taylor Swift's core audience. They are not. Ostensibly, supposedly. But they also, there's a lot of resentment. There's a lot of like rage and resentment. And they're like, oh, she's just doing it for the attention. It's like, oh, honey, she does not need, she does not need your attention. She does not need the fucking attention, right? Exactly. Yeah. She needs to raise her profile. No, that's obviously not what's happening. But I think this goes to what I was saying a moment ago. Like the ins and outs of her love life have always been very public and have always been part of the story. She can say, I'm a songwriter. I'm writing songs. It's not about my life. But anyone listening to her songs, watching her perform, watching her concerts is inevitably going to be aware of what's going on in her private life, what has happened in her past, what's happening currently. And they're going to map the two together and notice the parallels and okay, read into it. But this is what's interesting. So her her previous relationship was with this actor, uh, this British actor with whom she had a very 
actually not public relationship with mm-hmm. for, for several years. They were together for like five years. So not public relationship. And the, and the Swifties were hungry for details. They're like, that <laughs> dress that she's wearing in that video looks like a wedding dress. I mean, they were like desperate, desperate. Yeah, yeah. And she swung from one end of the pendulum all the way to the other with this wildly, pu- such a public relationship, you could think it's a stunt. Mm. I mean, it is you such. You could if you were inclined to think that way. If you, if you, I see if I said that to a Swifty, they'd be like, no, this interview's over. <laughs> they'd lose their minds. Um, and on TikTok, people are, are just watching every little video, the way they held hand, this little side yeah. thing. She's watching the game. Like they are reading it and they're so excited. They're like, oh, she's being loved by this football player who he, she's, he loves she's, her. Taylor Swift is you. She has your insecurities, your hangups, your dreams and hopes for love. She's been dumped just like you, all that stuff. But also she's six foot tall and blonde and beautiful and successful and rich. Like she is the better version of you. <laughs> She she is the aspiration. And so, yeah, I, it makes sense to me that they hang on her personal life like that and want to know every detail. But also the story of it, that it's literally like the football player. Like she got the football <laughs> player, but he's a good football player because he believes right. in vaccination. Like, Like people are so hot for this. And it is, it's so kind of like, look, I hope for her to have the best. I hope (laughs) she has wonderful men and great sex and beautiful albums and keeps doing what and keeps getting people to vote and like all the things, all the things. I don't think there would be half as much interest if she hadn't come to fame writing songs about her own relationships and then like really taken off as an adult artist with an album that was commenting on how interested people were in her own relationships. And there's also this thing where like uh, Joe Jonas of the Jonas Brothers was one of her exes. And when he recently got divorced from this actress, she and the actress went out to dinner. Like she's a high <laughs> level she, troll. Yeah. She is. Oh, see, she does. She, does she do it on knows. I she know it. does do it on That's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> she has this way where she's out with her pack of very powerful girls. Yeah. And like that is also part of it where it's like all of my best friends are these badass ladies. And I'm going to find all of the, I'm going to get all of the exes of this douchebag and we're going to all have dinner together and have many photos taken of it. It'll be on the front page. Her girl friendships are as exciting and interesting as her romantic relationships with men. It's all part of it. It's all just this elevated and, and made more glamorous version of your ordinary basic bitch life. She's like the queen of all the basic bitches. She's like, the, and it, it amuses me to no end to see like NFL guys who are annoyed. Like, why do they keep oh, cutting so to good. her? Why are the commentators talking about her? Like, who gives a shit about her? And so many more people than give a shit about your team, dude. Yeah, because it's like, do you know what? This fucking army of white women. <laughs> are so much more powerful. But that's the thing. Like, 
her core fans are the people who are, I'm not going to say the most devalued. That would be incorrect. But girls, girls. are very devalued and, in our society. And I, I think it's mostly white girls. And the things girls, girls like. The things girls like the are very devalued. The things girls liked are very devalued. And I don't think it's I don't think it's specifically white girls, but I think girls, girlness. I think that's her core fandom, but I don't. Her know. that's don't her know. core fandom. Yeah. But yeah. I think in general, the things no, that girls find interesting, that girls like. anything girls like is and girls' experiences are not valued. And yeah. whatever pain girls are having, whatever hopes they have, like all of that internal stuff, everything that it means to be a girl, it's all so devalued in our society. And that's why things that girls like are also devalued to the point where if girls like them, even if it's a thing that people otherwise would like, the fact that a lot of girls like something makes it suspect, like makes it lose its cultural cachet, makes it lose its cultural value. So I love the idea of Taylor Swift, even if I don't dislike her music at all. I find her song kind of sound all alike to me to a certain extent. Yes. Like she mm -hmm. has a few that I really enjoy. I enjoy her songs. But, you know, when I hear her new stuff, I'm like, yeah, it sounds like a Taylor Swift song. Like I'm not hearing yeah. something that's breaking any new ground. Um, but hey, you got something that works. You keep going with it. Why not? People love it. But um, I really respect and appreciate that she is this juggernaut of girlness that yeah the, yeah what girls yeah. like what girls yeah. are she's yeah. embodying it and fuck off if you don't like it who gives a shit i am gonna post one post on instagram and crush anyone in my path so <laughs> like oh you don't like it it's oh, too girly for you. I'm crying. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I I really appreciate that. Okay. So then so then here we have we have solved <laughs> Taylor Swift. We have solved Beyonce. Like this is what they are. Yes. Does it mean anything <laughs> that these were the gigantor shows of the year? Like, what does this tell us? Is there anything mm. we can read out of this? Is there anything that we can mm, taste out of this? Because also, I think that they're not going anywhere. They're not like oh, one no. hit wonders, because I think with both of them, and you see in Taylor's most recent album, she's like, I'm going to go for like witchy music vibe, even though all the songs sound the same. But like, I'm moving into different vibes. Beyonce is deep in concept album land. Like, she doesn't even have to come out with another album until she has the next big fucking idea. Right. They don't seem like they're going to be losing their relevance because they're not trafficking in pure pop. They're trafficking in something else that's like bigger. So does it mean anything that this was 2023? Is there anything that we can see about this, about where we're at? I, do you have any theories on it? Because I nothing's coming to my mind. I mean, I don't know, because that's the thing. I'm like, does this mean like women are going to vote because... They're like, how dare you take abortion away? You know what I mean? Like every. Oh, okay. Do we, this we, is what I'm talking about. We, like the, the, the pink wave. <laughs> is this, is this a pink wave? We did an episode a billion years ago about like, did Harry Potter train a certain generation yeah. to be the anti 
gun activists to be like, (laughs) would Parkland activism have existed without Harry Potter? Like, what are these girls learning and taking forward from this, if anything? Or is that just something to chew on moving forward? Yeah, I don't know that it has something to do with the state of things in 2023, though I I think you might be onto something with... um, I I hate saying this because as you and I have discussed, as we discussed in our end of row episode, we, you and I have been talking about this shit long time, a long time, a little bit of a talking about it for a long time since way before we had a podcast, since way before there were podcasts, since way before there were cell phones. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Before the internet, we were talking Mm -hmm. about it. It's true because we're old. Yeah. I know we're fucking old, but (laughs) also the threat to row Yes. has existed yes. for almost as long as Roe has existed or did exist. So we've been warning people and talking about it and being afraid of this happening. But it's true for very many people. I think they really hadn't seen that this was imminent or even really possible. And it's not just Roe v. Wade. It's also like the Trump presidency Having a president who talked about grabbing women by the pussy and he got elected anyway and served for four fucking years anyway. And the anti-trans movement, the anti, I'm just thinking with beyond, like, like it is very meaningful that all of these incredibly, insanely talented queers and people with different bodies. I mean, her dancers were ferocious. And one of the Mm. things they did every night was like, a ball where like each one would perform and like do a fucking solo, just destroying it, you know? That's right. And like in this moment, look, there, there's a, like, I don't want to say Marxist, anti-capitalist part of me that keeps getting cynical about it where it's like, yeah, there's all these threats. There's these threats to LGBTQ people, threats to trans people specifically, very specifically, but it's never just that one group, right? It becomes threats to all queer people. It becomes threats to all women. Yes. People are feeling it. It's real. Rising fascism is real. Is it even rising anymore? It's here. Yeah. Yep. The solution to this is to spend $2,000 buying a ticket to a concert. And, And I appreciate, like, again, that Taylor Swift is telling people to go register to vote and to vote. And it's actually having an effect and that's great and that's awesome and I don't want to suggest that all she's doing is making money off it and not trying to actually do anything that's legitimately helpful but there is this way in which that energy the fear the anger the indignation the uh desire to reclaim power or to claim it to get empowered gets channeled into fandom and consumerism Yeah. So they're just skimming the cream off the fucking top. Mm -hmm. Uh, How do we get a little piece of that, baby? Oh, shit. It's (laughs) Maybe we could get in on that. Oh, I don't think so. Mm. All right. Well, I think that this sets us up for the new year, though. I think these are the questions taking us into 2024. I seriously do. All 
All right, Taylor fans, you hate us now, right? You hate us? You hate us? Did we expose something that you just didn't want to know about yourself? Did we, yeah, did we malign your queen? <laughs> is there something that we're missing? No, is there something we're missing about Taylor? I I bet there is from your perspective. And honestly, I'd love to hear it. Absolutely. So email us, saucepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on all the socials, but the best way to get to us Join our Patreon, patreon.com slash sauce podcast and be a patron and come join us on the sauce speakeasy where we can get into it. Uh, you can also reach me, Rebecca, as at Gynostar on all the various platforms. And you can find me at Maya Garantz anywhere you're looking for Maya Garantz's. Happy holidays to you all. We love you listeners. We, you know... We had, I was looking through our episodes this year. We did some good fucking shit this year. We did. Maybe we should put together, well, let's do a best of episode. Yeah. We could do a little clips so. episode for best I of think we just, Yeah. We did right. a really, we did some good shit this year. Uh, listeners, we love you and we will see you in the new year. I hope you survive your family holidays. <laughs> Come to the speakeasy and tell us the most grotesque family holiday story you encounter. <laughs> Who is that aunt that you had yeah. to have that conversation with? We want to know. We do. <laughs> All right. Looking forward to hearing from you. Adios, amigos. <laughs>